So before we get started, I want to celebrate something, uh, also let you know what is behind me. So two things that are happening behind me. So number one, there are flowers here. These aren't our typical flowers. They're flowers from a wedding, a wedding last night. It was Dave and Nina Parachek's wedding last night. So yes, so they generously brought those flowers um, and so we're so excited that they got Mary's beautiful wedding. Um, the officiant was amazing. Uh, everything went great. Uh, but uh, seriously, it was a beautiful wedding. Couldn't ask for a better couple. Uh, Nina loves being the center of attention. She loved it the whole time. Uh, but something else happened before last evening. Uh, Dave was baptized here yesterday morning. Very, very small service. Right there in the waters of baptism. It was, yeah, just praise God for that. Uh, so two of the most important decisions in his life, he knocked them out within hours. Uh, so that was awesome, and so we're so, uh, so grateful for that. Now, not only are those flowers behind me, but the waters of baptism are still in the baptistry. The water's still warm. So if you have not been baptized and this is your day, we can do it. Today. Now, I don't have a bathing suit, so we're going to go all in on church clothes if we need to. But if, if that's something that you, a decision you need to make, I'm just letting you know the, the waters are ready. All right. Now, let's jump into the sermon. So, today we step into what I think is the most difficult passage in the Bible. Uh, if there was one passage that you could just like tear out of the Bible, never read again, it's this one. This is the one I'd get rid of. Now, when I think about this passage, I can't help but think uh, of, of something C.S. Lewis said. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, in his second chapter on faith, where he dug into faith uh, to a level that not many people will explore, he had this to say before he dug into that chapter. Here's what he said. The thing I'm going to try to explain in this chapter may be ahead of me. I may be thinking I have got there when I have not. And that's exactly how I feel about this, this, this sermon and this passage, this teaching of Jesus. I really do think that this teaching of Jesus is well ahead of me. And I do not think I'm anywhere close to fully understanding exactly how to live out what Jesus is saying here. Now, I can understand the English, but man, I'm just going to let you know I'm not there. I bet you maybe in ten years, when I've advanced in the kingdom a little bit longer... I would understand this passage even more. But where I am today, I feel very much like Lewis, that this passage is well ahead of me. So we're just going to start right there, that I have not, I, I don't know exactly how to step into this passage with its fullness and its depth, because I think it's ahead of me. Yeah, I, I actually think that this teaching of Jesus, of all of his teachings, is like Jesus telling me today to go run a marathon. Like, literally, like, go run a marathon. What would you do if Jesus said, go run a marathon? You'd just laugh, wouldn't you? You'd say, I'm not running a marathon. I'm not run a marathon. I can't run a marathon. I'd be lucky if I get a mile in. Not a marathon. That's how this passage feels to me. It feels like Jesus is saying, go run a marathon. I'm like, I can't run a marathon. But here's what I can do. I can put on my shoes. And I can take a step. And so here's the goal today. We're going to take a step. 
I know we're all going to see what Jesus is calling us to, but my goal is, is that by the time we're done in these few minutes together, that we are going to have at least have a plan for taking a step. And you know what happens when you take a step after a step after a step? Eventually, you'll get a marathon. But today, the goal is a step. So here we go. We're in the Gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 6. This is one of his longer teachings in the Gospel according to Luke. It, uh, in some ways, mirrors his even longer teaching in the Gospel according to Matthew, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Some call this in Luke the Sermon on the Plain, or the Sermon on the Hill. Jesus has already told them the people who are blessed and those who should be worried, those who have woe. It's two kinds of people, those who live according to the kingdom of God and those who live for themselves. And right out of that teaching, we come into this passage. So here we go, verse 27, Luke 6, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone, if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, that doesn't feel like the call to a marathon. I don't know what else in the Bible will feel that way. This passage is well ahead of me. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who hurt you. Man. Let's go this way first. Let's talk about what Jesus is not saying. How's that? Let's just, let's just at least out of the gate, let's acknowledge what he's not saying. So we're going to have a lot of slides this morning. We're going to move through them pretty quick. Here's what Jesus is not saying. Right out of the gate, let's acknowledge this. Jesus is not telling us how governments are supposed to function. Here's what one scholar says about this. He says this. This is not a manifesto regarding the behavior of the state. Scripture tells us that God has tasked the civil magistrate with bearing the sword of divine wrath against wrongdoers. So it's not wrong for the state to prosecute criminal behavior or for Christians to appeal to law enforcement in appropriate instances. The state is also not supposed to take everyone's stuff because you're supposed to give it all away. No. The state has a call for justice. And God has instituted the state to bring justice to those who break the law. So Jesus is not saying that the government is supposed to function this way. Alright, here's the next thing. At least we know Jesus is not telling us to do. Jesus is telling us to allow people to abuse us. So two scholars had something to say on this. I'm just going to combine them right here. Here's what two scholars said. The text also does not call believers to be unwise or intentionally put themselves in situations of severe abuse or in which their lives will be threatened. 
Another scholar says this is not about tolerating or especially submitting to abusive behaviors, verbal, physical, social, or sexual. Jesus isn't calling us to that. And we could bring a lot of other scriptures into play that balance out what Jesus is saying here. And we know he's not calling us to go be in a sexually abusive relationship or go work in a toxic work environment where we are abused. This is not what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is also not telling us to do this. He's not telling us to give away everything we have so that we have nothing. I I like what one scholar said. Again, two scholars, but they make the same point. This is not an economic theory of giving up all your possessions. A socialist can't come in and bring this teaching of Jesus to teach that everybody must share and nobody's allowed to have private, uh, private possessions. This is not what Jesus is saying here. And into this next point, in a society, this is the society Jesus was living in, where beggars, thieves, and con men abound, this is not a sustainable lifestyle. Can you imagine if we took Jesus literally here? Okay, you can ask me, you, you could ask me for stuff. But you're not going to have a, you, the, the amount of time you get to ask me for stuff isn't going to be long. Because Tess and I just don't have that much. I mean, we'll give you what you, we have, but then next week you're going to go find someone else. Right? Like, it's not sustainable to give everything away, never expecting repayment, because then you will be left with nothing. And you will not be able to be generous anymore. So Jesus is not calling us to give everything away the moment someone asks, leaving you with nothing. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Now the fourth thing. Here's the other thing Jesus isn't doing. He's not telling us to turn a blind eye towards bad behavior or to ignore justice. That's not what Jesus is doing here. I find it interesting. He does say... God the Father is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He does. And in, in another version of the teaching in the Gospel according to Matthew, he says, God sends rain on the righteous and the wicked. Today, the sun will shine on bad people and good people. God's common grace will come to all people. But do recognize what Jesus also says here. He still calls them wicked. He still calls them sinners. And God is still going to judge the wicked. So the wicked may get rain and sunshine and even good health. But if you do not come to Jesus, there will still be judgment. And there is such a thing still as wicked people. So just because God is kind to wicked people doesn't mean it absolves them of their wickedness. It just means God is kind. So we want to acknowledge Just because God is kind, just because there's this teaching in front of us, doesn't mean that wipes away any distinction between the righteous and the wicked. That's not what Jesus is saying. So those are the four things I think Jesus is not saying. But here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is giving a teaching to his disciples about the ethical implications of what it means to live in the kingdom of God, especially as it relates to people you don't like people that have hurt you, and people that have hurt people you love. That's what Jesus is teaching. And what he's doing here is he gives these ethical implications of what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to follow him into the kingdom, is he's flipping the values of the world. That's what he's doing. He's flipping the way the world teaches us to deal with people we don't like, people that have hurt us, or people that have hurt our loved ones. So what are, the, what are some of the ways the world would teach us to treat our enemies? Here you go. I think the third one's the one everyone's going to get mad about. I don't think we're going to have a problem with these first two. We know, I think, these are, this isn't the way to do it. Don't get mad, get even. Right? That's what the world would say. Don't you get mad, you get even. 
they would also say some, there's some version of this. Give them a taste of their own medicine, right? There's, there's some way of saying that. It's this last one that I even hear myself and other Christians saying. Kill them with kindness. Right? Kill them with kindness. You're still killing them. You're still killing them. That's not kindness. That's just passive aggressive. Okay? So, so as Christians, as Christians, we're called to live a different way. You see, this script, this way that the world teaches us to live, fundamentally, in short, says this. Here, here's what it says. I'll treat you the way I think you deserve to be treated. You help me, I'll help you. You bring me to dinner, I'll take you to dinner. It, I mean, it's a reciprocal relationship. But if you hurt me, then you deserve to be hurt. And in the world script, in the values of the world, on how you treat your enemy, guess who's at the center? Me. Now, there are some who, who, who do grammar. I understand. I, it's not even a complete sentence. I'm trying to get the point across. Me. Me. It should be I am at the center. Trudy. Okay. All right. And now. I'm at the center of these values. I determine when you deserve my love, or when you when you don't deserve my love, I I am the one being the judge of what you deserve and what you don't deserve, and it depends on how you treated me or my loved ones. That's how the world teaches us to deal with our enemies. Jesus flips that, and he says this very simply: You do good to, you bless, and you pray for the people you don't like, people you can't stand, the people that have hurt you or hurt someone you love. You do good to them, you bless them, you pray for them. In short, I think this is what Jesus is saying. You don't treat the people way, the way they deserve to be treated. I think that's fundamental. The second part of that is you treat them the way God has treated you. God, the starting point, right? God's the reference. God's the center of that. So Jesus doesn't start from the place where you get to be judge of who deserves what and when and how. You start from God and how you've been treated. And here we get to really the crux of it. If you're a Christian, then you have to, you have to hold on to the foundation of the Gospel that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were rebels, trying to live how we wanted, when we wanted, rejecting the God who gave us life, He still showed us love. Not because we deserved it, but because of His kindness, His unfailing love. So probably the best passage here is the Apostle Paul, Romans 5, 6-8. Paul writes this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though... A good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the center. That's the starting place. The starting place is not how hurt you were, how hurt your loved one is, or how annoyed you are. That's not the starting place for the Christian. The starting place for the Christian is the gospel. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's the foundation. What's interesting is that Paul's got this teaching on the front part of the, of the letter, chapter 5. We call it chapter 5. 
And then when he moves into application, so he moves into application in what we call Romans 12. And it doesn't take long in chapter 12 for him to take all of that theology, all of this all of this deep teaching about the gospel, and he moves to this application. Check this out. Here's where he moves. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Romans 12, verses 14 through 19. It's like an excerpt here. Paul says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Believe room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You see how, you see how Paul moves from uh, the foundation of God's kindness to us when we didn't deserve it. You take that same kindness, that same love, and you pass it on to those people that annoy you, you don't like, who have hurt you, or even, I think, most deeply, those who have hurt someone you've loved. Paul says you go all in on that. You do not seek revenge. You do good. This is the teaching of Jesus. Paul says it another way, very, very concisely. I think all of you may have heard it at one point, this teaching, Colossians 3.13. Paul says this to these Christians, bear with each other, forgive one another in, if any of you has a grievance against someone. It's this last part, right? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. There's the teaching. What would it be like if God treated us like we treat our enemies? I'd be in big trouble. I'd be in, I imagine you would too. Right? We forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So the starting place is God, not me. Not my hurt, not my pain, not my anger. It is Christ. This literally flips the narrative, the script the world gives us on how to handle our enemies. And so really what we're talking about here, right, is we want to be, we, we are supposed to look like God. We are supposed to be like God. This is a matter of family resemblance. The scholar said it this way. I really like the way he said it. Disciples should reflect the character of the God they serve. Growing into the family likeness. However, this is to be achieved not merely by adapting a new set of behavioral rules, but by absorbing God's own values and attitudes. We literally take on His character. And He is the God who is kind to the righteous and the wicked. And we know that in the end, He will hold whatever judgment needs to come to those that have hurt us, hurt a loved one, or we just don't like. We leave that in God's hands. But we move in the way God moves. Now, I want to take a, a moment to, to insert something here that I think is very, very important. Because when you hit a teaching like this, and I think this is the most difficult teaching in the Bible, when you hit this teaching, it, is, it doesn't take long to walk through those verses and step back and say, I can't do that. I'm not there. So I guess I can't follow Jesus. Because I'm not good enough. And you're right. You're not good enough. And I'm not good enough. But Jesus is not teaching you. He's not teaching me. This is not a teaching that tells us how to be saved. I think we need to be very clear on this. This is a teaching on how to be like Jesus. How to live in the kingdom and be more like Him. It is not a teaching on how to be saved. This is not a matter of being good enough in loving your enemies and therefore you're saved. No, you're saved. And as a saved person, we are shaped and molded more and more like Christ and 
one way that that happens is how you and I treat the people we don't like, the people who have hurt us or hurt a loved one. And so I think, and this is one of these passages I don't think you can read too many times, just so we're all very clear how we're saved. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 2. He writes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So you don't step into this passage and say, I'm going to do a really good job and God will like me. No, you say, God likes me, He saved me, and I need to learn to move more and more into this teaching. That's how, that's how we come to this. This is not a matter of being saved. It's a matter of looking more like Christ. So do not become so discouraged that you think you can't make it in the kingdom of God. You being in the kingdom of God had nothing to do with what you did. It had everything to do with what He did. All right. So what do we do with all this? I'm going to tell you, again, I'm not very far uh, along the road on this passage. i got my own struggles here. i got people I don't like. i got people that have hurt me. and i got people that have hurt people that I love. This is a tough one for me. But I'm just trying to think, so what are some of the things in play for practical life? i just got a few of them. So here we go. Here's one I think that we just need to, to sit with. Making someone hurt as much as they've hurt you or someone you love isn't an option for a follower of Jesus. Like it's not on the table. And I think that's just like, we just need to acknowledge it right out of the gate. You can't do that as a follower of Jesus. And do we come up with justifications for doing it? Absolutely. We're really great at that. But this teaching does not allow for that option. If you have said yes to Jesus, and you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, then hurting someone as much as they've hurt you is off the table. So I think just right again, we've got to just have that. just need to acknowledge that. Here's another one. When opportunities come to be kind to your enemies, just take them. Right? So like at work, I'm sure you've got an enemy at work, right? You've got someone you don't like. Or when you did work, you've got someone you didn't like. And let's just say that that person you do not like goes through a very difficult time in their life and the, and the workplace, you know, all these other co-workers gather around that co-worker and they raise money to help that co-worker out, that enemy, the person that hurts you so deeply. Or maybe they hurt your loved one and they're raising money for that person. What's the first thing you want to do? Say, no. well, I, for me, so again, I'm not very far along the road. You're more advanced in the kingdom, Jenny. I'm saying, I'm not giving a dime to that person. Why would I help them? They hurt me. They hurt a loved one. I'm not giving anything there. But the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, no, you give. There is an opportunity to help an enemy. Do they deserve it? Probably not. But this isn't a matter of what they deserve. It's a matter of what God's given you and you passing it on. And so that's just one example. Or maybe you have someone you really don't like, and like, you're passing each other. So there are two options in my mind. Turn around, go the other way. Or, I I just happened to get a text message right when I'm walking past them, right? Like, yeah, like, and you don't have to interact. But God gives you an opportunity. 
So say hello. Say hello. Say hello. Say hello. Or they text you. Or on Facebook, that person says happy birthday. And you're thinking, why in the world would they say happy birthday? We hate each other. And then you come up with all the reasons why you think they put happy birthday. Because they're trying to get back at you. They're trying to make everyone think you're okay. This is, uh, you, you, all the wrong motives are on that happy birthday. But now you have an opportunity to be kind. I'm not saying you need to reply. Thank you so much. Let's get together. Let's have coffee. Maybe you just put a thumb. You like their comment. There's your opportunity. There's your act of kindness. All I'm saying is when God gives you an opportunity to be kind to your enemy, just take it. Just take it. You don't got to love them forever. Love them in that one moment. Okay. Here's the last one. Simply pray for them. Now, if you're like me, praying for your enemy, it can feel generic, right? Like, I don't want to pray for the good for that person. I want to pray judgment on that person. The point here, put their name in front of God and let God handle that. Because you know what, you, you know what we know about God. He's good. And whatever He decides will be just. And it will be merciful. So take your enemy... And put them in front of God. And let God hate how all that's going to look. You don't even have to work out the words. God, I am putting before you in the name of Christ. And just pray for them. Maybe God will do a work in your heart where you'll start actually praying for their good. For a blessing in their life. But if you can't start there, just literally put their name in front of God. And let God have it. These are just really small steps. You see, if I come back to the idea of the marathon, I really do think this thing is a marathon. I think Jesus is calling us to do what is, in some ways, just impossible. So I'm trying to think, what is the thing that I can do, I mean, even beyond maybe, or, or in addition to, or what would it look like to take those things and get that into something this week that reminds me to take a step, Right? Like, I know I can't run a marathon unless I put on my shoes. Well, that brings me to my shoes. And I thought, well, that might be a great place to start. My shoes. Even these ragged shoes. Tess will not allow me to wear these on stage. I wear them everywhere else, but not stage. I think about, so I just thought, well, maybe my shoes can help me. And I thought, well, what if every time I go to put on my shoes this week, I remember to pray for the person I really don't like. I probably, probably, probably put a reminder in front of my face pretty regularly. And so I thought, well, how am I going to get? How am I going to remember to pray for them when I put on my shoes? And so I thought, well, I'll just put something in my shoes. And so I created something to put in my shoes. Here's your next step. Put this reminder in your shoes this week. Pray for that person you really don't like right now. Jesus. Like that's Jesus saying it to you. Okay. All right. And so I made these little things for you. I printed like 350 of them. And I, and, and I put them in multiple shoes. And so funny. 
Like, I'm wearing these shoes, those shoes. Don't judge the way my shoes look in my closet. So, so I, I wear these shoes today, and, yes, and earlier, uh, Friday or Saturday, I, had, I put these in multiple shoes that I have. Forgot how, I mean, I just forgot where I put them. And this morning, as I was getting ready, I came to this pair of shoes. And guess what was sitting there? This reminder. And so I prayed for that person. And I put them in front of God. And so I took that, and we'll put it in another pair of shoes. Now, some of you have a lot of shoes. You can take lots of reminders. So what we're going to do is, um, when you come up for communion, I mean, I just got a bag. I'm going to put them out here in just a second. I mean, just literally, take, just take a few of these things, take them home, and put them in your shoes. And when you put your shoes on and you see this reminder from Jesus, just remember... He's calling you to a marathon, but today, you're just taking a step. That's all we're working on here, is a step. You take enough of these steps, you'll get in a mile. Make sure you'll get a marathon. But this week, just take a step and just put in front of God the person you really don't like. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace that you have given us. You have been so merciful to us. So now go with us into the week and help us along the way as we put in front of you the people we don't like, the people who've hurt us, the people who've hurt people we love. And, and we know you'll be gracious with us. And as much as we may not like it, you just might be gracious to our enemies. Help us to live more and more into the kingdom, being shaped in the likeness of Jesus, more and more children of God, less and less children of the world. All to your glory, we exalt you, your Son Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We pray that in His name. Together we say, Amen. So before we close, we actually have a special moment for our church family. Not just one couple coming forward, but two couples coming forward. So come on up. Right now. That's right. You did, I didn't know until just now. I know. I know. It's a crowd. It's great. Um, so we have Dave and Nina and Elizabeth coming as baptized believers, and Bud and Crystal Key coming as baptized believers, uh, saying that they want to join our church family. And so what we do when uh, someone joins our church family is we ask them to affirm the good confession. And so we're going to ask that you affirm that just simply by saying yes. I will state it. You say yes. And then upon that, uh, affirmation. You join our church family as baptized believers. So I will ask you, do you still believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Okay. On that affirmation, they join us as new members at East 10. So I'm going to have a closing prayer. Pray for them as well. We're so grateful. Um, Bud and Crystal have been coming, uh, I don't know for how long now, over a year. Yeah, and, and Dave, and over a year, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Um, so, so glad to have them joining. Also, I forgot to have our veterans stand, uh, but so we're going to, I'm going to pray for all of our veterans in here, and I know there are so many of you in here. So, pray for you, uh, and we'll pray for uh, these two families as well. So, let's pray. Father, as we come to a close on this day, we're so grateful for your word, uh, and in some ways we, we, we get uncomfortable, and we're thankful for that. Uh, we know it's for our good. Continue to help us to move and be transformed in the likeness of the kingdom of, of God through Christ. 
Thank you for Bud and Crystal, and we are so grateful for Dave and Nina and Elizabeth, and we pray just blessings over them, particularly as we just we do life together over the years to come, whatever that may hold, becoming more and more like Jesus. So help them along that way. Help us as a church family. And we are grateful for those who have served in the armed services in our church family. Would you on this day in particular bless them as well? We honor them and we are thankful for them, for they have served according to your purpose. And now go with us into the rest of our week. Continue to challenge and shape us. We pray that in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen.